guys. Uh, thanks for coming today. My name is Kevin Navratel, and I am uh, Associate uh, Professor of Political Science here at Marin Valley. I'm also the Democracy Commitment Coordinator, uh, which is designed to try to have events like today. We're trying to promote civic engagement, participation, uh, civic literacy. Uh, so I wanted to thank the library uh, for hosting us today, and I want to thank our student interpreters for helping us with uh, interpreting the uh, information that I'm going to be providing today. So that's a pretty small group today. Uh, so feel free to ask any questions. You know, my idea is to kind of make this interactive and helpful to you. Um, so I'm happy to help in any way that I can. Um, so I wanted to let you know, first of all, you know, the idea you should be a voter. Um, a lot of times you say you should vote, um, but I'm trying to create more of the voting culture that it's not just once in a while or every you know, four years that you vote, but that we have elections actually quite frequently. Uh, the first of which is going to be in just a couple of months, we're gonna have the Illinois primary. Uh, and I'll, I'll show you a sample ballot uh, a little bit later on where you can actually see all the different offices that you have the option of voting for. But really, it's, it's an election within a political party. And so we are in the process of essentially, uh, for example, uh, deciding which Republican candidate will represent uh, the Republican Party against Dick Durbin uh, for the Illinois Senate race that will take place in uh, November in the general election. Uh, similarly, we're doing the same thing, uh, particularly on the Democratic side for the presidential candidates. Uh, as you probably know, there's um, you know, about 10 different uh, Democratic presidential candidates competing against one another. So in the primary race, we are trying to determine which of those Democratic candidates will emerge to most likely, of course, face off against Donald Trump in the general election. So those are the two uh, major elections that we have at the national level this year. And uh, one of the reasons why it's really important uh, to be a voter this particular year, especially when it comes to uh, November, is that um, we have the ability to really impact and influence the, the, the makeup of the new government that we'll have uh, starting in January of 2021. So obviously the president's race will be up for election, but uh, the control for House of Representatives, which political party would uh, be the majority party in the U.S. House of Representatives, uh, potentially, uh, the control for Senate is also up for grabs. Um, and then, you know, even locally, uh, I'll show you sample ballot again. There's going to be a lot of local races that are important. Um, but um, one I just wanted to highlight that we'll have as, as Illinois citizens the ability to potentially amend the Illinois Constitution, which would then allow for uh, a constitutional change to our tax structure in Illinois where currently we have a flat tax for all taxpayers, and this could open it up to allow for um, essentially the Pritzker plan, which would allow for individuals who make more than $250,000 a year to be taxed at a higher uh, income tax at the state of Illinois. So lots of elections. Uh, we'll talk more about those a little bit later on. Um, what I wanted to try to do, uh, you know, my dean who asked me to to um, host an event on the importance of voting, really wanted to try to bring home why it's so important to be a voter, uh, in particular for younger people. So there's really two things that I wanted to, to show you first before I provide some of my own additional information. 
And one, I think, is often uh, forgotten about uh, for many people our age and younger, uh, just that what a struggle it's been to, uh, I guess, earn the right to vote, uh, to be able to exercise the right to vote. So this video is a little dated. It's from 2012. Uh, it's from Rock the Vote. But I think it does a pretty good job of highlighting. Hello, I'm Perez Hilton. Did you know that more people in the United States check their Facebook and watch the Super Bowl than exercise their right to vote? We've got some serious issues to deal with. So how come so many of us don't even bother to vote? Is it because we don't care? Or maybe it's because we don't know our history. So let's go back, way back. Our country's first election came after fighting for our independence, a fight that cost many lives, but it was worth it because instead of being ruled by a king, we were finally able to make our own laws. But not everybody was allowed to participate. You see, back then, you had to own property, be white, and a man in order to actually vote. Now, things continued that way for about 80 years, until after the Civil War, when slavery was abolished and all men were given the right to vote. Now, hold up a minute. Just because we had the right to vote didn't mean we could use it. See, all these new voters wanted to participate, which threatened the people in power and their ability to stay in power. So they tried to stop us with violence and shady new requirements like literacy tests and poll taxes. We had to fight for nearly 100 years before the Voting Rights Act passed, which finally outlawed these dirty tricks. And you weren't the only ones that had to fight for your right to vote. Somehow women got left out and had to organize and fight state by state until we took our fight to Washington and finally got our right to vote all across the country. And even once the laws guaranteed every person the ability to vote, you still had to be 21 in most states. So when our government began drafting people under 21 to go fight in Vietnam, they realized their lives were at stake and they had no say. Young people all across the country rose up in protest and demanded that everyone over 18 should be allowed to vote. And since then, young people's votes have been crucial in deciding lots of big elections. Like in 2008, when a black candidate had a real chance to become president, young people showed up in record numbers. And every year, we make up a larger share of the voting population, giving young people more power, but only if we participate. So let me break it down. Together, there is so much we can decide, like whether or not we should go to war, or how we spend our money, and how we power our lives. We can determine who has the right to marry, and who has the right to choose, what possessions should be outlawed, and whether or not we should legalize. It's up to you to make your choices and shape our future. If we sit on the sidelines, then others will make it work for them instead of us. So let's make our voices heard. So what would it take for you to vote? All right. Uh, again, that was a few years 
back uh, eight years, but I uh, just wanted to see if any questions or comments, kind of reactions that, uh, from that video, from anything else so far? Yeah, Craig. Yeah, so uh, essentially that in, in various parts, especially in some of the southern states that had uh, a history of voter suppression where um, the Voter Rights Act would, would help ensure you know, uh, access to, to the right to vote for, um, for all people, uh, in particular minorities. So in many situations today, we still have examples to where there could be um, you know, um, ways of people being prevented or having a harder access uh, to vote. Some of the ones that come to mind, um, you know, uh, would be whether felons or people who have committed certain crimes, uh, you know, whether they're uh, prevented from voting. Um, just trying to think of a few others off, off the top of my head. Um, Yeah, so one of the key aspects of federalism with our elections is how much uh, power we give to state and local governments to de determine the, the kind of manner of their elections. So whether you have to have a, a photo ID, um, what kind of, you know, how early in advance you need to be registered, um, what documents you need to provide when you get registered or uh, on the day that you show up to vote. Um, can you repeat the one that you just mentioned? So if you haven't been a frequent voter, um, trying to think of a, a few cases like in Ohio where, um, so let's say that you voted in 2012 for the presidential election, but you didn't vote in the next, uh, you know, you didn't vote in the 2014 election, perhaps you missed the 2016 election, and they send you a, a postcard basically saying, hey, are you still uh, a voter? Are you still living at this address? And if you don't respond, then you could be purged from the rolls. Um, that's happened in, st in, in really key battleground states like Ohio, where we've seen uh, tens of thousands of people who have been purged from rolls. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it's just so overwhelming the number of examples of where, um, you know, this video makes it a good point about how it's been such a struggle to achieve the right to the vote. But in still, a lot of cases, depending upon the state that you live in, the ease of voting is really depends upon where you, where you vote. Um, some states, like I'm thinking of Oregon, where you can mail in a ballot. Um, you know, other states, you know, early voting is really restricted. Absentee ballots are restricted. Um, the, the, the voter purging, but then also um, proving who you are with certain documents that um, oftentimes people don't have a photo ID, a government-issued photo ID, uh, things along those lines. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely an issue, I think, that... Um, you know, it's, it's kind of the new fault lines is, is trying to uh, compete over which groups of voters can vote. Uh, I think we'll, I'll, I'll show in just a moment that it makes a big, you know, one of the key demographic groups for the Democratic <coughs> constituencies, younger voters, uh, minority voters, lower income voters. And it just so happens that many of these groups of people are 
are the ones who are most likely research shows to be impacted on photo ID uh, requirements, the voting purging of people who haven't voted frequently, um, people who might be more mobile and moving around quite often. So it's certainly a, a key issue, and, and, and you're right that the, the Voting Rights Act had you know, really dramatic impact. Uh, and will continue today since it's, uh, as you mentioned, uh, essentially was overturned by the Supreme Court. Anything else that questions you guys have so far? So the other uh, video I wanted to play um, is, is one that I always struggle to, to play. I want to first kind of give you a little bit of a, a warning that uh, this has some obscenity. And it's certainly non-objective. It's created by uh, a really progressive group that's, that's essentially anti-Trump. Um, but it was shared to me by a student, and it ended up leading to a really great conversation in our classroom about identity politics and stereotypes and, and kind of strategies that may or may not work to try to improve voter turnout. So I wanted to get your feedback. So I wanted to show you a couple of questions I'd like you to think about. Um, as you're watching this clip, and it's a really short one, about 45 seconds. But uh, to kind of think, are there any truths in this video? Uh, is, is there you know, a, a point that they're successfully trying to make? Uh, are there inaccuracies, things that you think are misleading, some stereotypes? Um, you know, are they off base with their um, point to this video? and then basically how effective this is. So I'm interested in your own opinions on this. So uh, you, just by looking at the title, any of you watched this before? All right. Dear young people. Don't vote. Don't vote. Everything's fine the way it is. Trump, that was us. He's our guy. Tax cuts for the rich? <laughs> Hell yeah, I'm rich as fuck. Climate change? That's a you problem. I'll be dead soon. Sure, school shootings are sad. But I haven't been in a school for 50 years. I can't keep track of which lives matter. Sure you don't like it. So, you'll like some meme on Instagram. If the weather is nice, maybe you could go to one of those little marches. You might even share this video on Facebook. But you won't vote. You young people never do. But I do. I do. I do. Midterms primaries every single election will be there but you won't because we're a generation of doers not whiners and we're doing great all right so a um, couple of uh, questions that I just wanted you to, to grapple with you know what if anything is accurate in this video uh, what, if anything, is, is misleading, inaccurate, um, biased? Um, you know, what do you think the point of this video is and, and how successful it is? Any, yeah. Genius, because what makes it genius? So it's kind of reverse psychology, yeah, insulting them. Okay. So you think that might be inspiring to be like, hey, you know, right. you're not doing anything, okay? Yeah. Yeah. We're so sensitive now. Yeah. And do you think that's going to have a positive or negative effect? Negative. 
negative. So it's almost insulting to be for them to, oh, you're not going to vote, and oh, you're going to, you know, your little marches and spreading of memes, and you know, that's pretty insignificant. So that's insulting. Other reactions? Yeah, Mike. Okay. Yeah. So one, one takeaway that I think is really important is what issues, if we're separating voters based on age cohort, what, what are some issues that might be important to older uh, voters compared to younger voters? So if we're just thinking about, let's say, 18 to 29 or voters under the age of 40, issues that might be concerning. You mentioned, you know, environment, climate-related issues. So one distinction I think that Mike drew here is that you know, for, for younger voters, you're going to be living in this environment and climate uh, for decades to come, and of course your kids and, and grandkids as well, whereas older voters, um, you know, due to life expectancy, have less time to, to be able to be dealing with those consequences. Mike? I would definitely vote to bring back the rest of the Okay. It has no impact on me. I'm yeah. So my daughter's not going to be drafted presently. Thinking about draft or war, conflict, you, Mike or older Americans aren't going to go. It's going to be younger people. So just, I guess, the impact, the, the interests are really different. Can you think of other issues where there might be stark contrast between older voters, younger voters? Say that again. School shootings. Shootings in general, so this, you know, they're, they're kind of, that's satire, they're parodying, like, hey, I haven't been in school for 50 years. You know, you could add to that education spending. Um, you know, now, of course, some of these older Americans may have kids or grandkids who are in the school system, but property taxes, education, policy is probably less on the forefront of their minds than younger voters. Anything else? Student loans. Student loans. Right? Uh, a lot of baby boomers and uh, generation had a scenario of whether it was either the GI Bill or really heavily subsidized uh, college education that allowed them to either go to college for free or, or a very, very limited amount of, of, of costs out of pocket, perhaps that they could pay for through just working part time in the summer. So, um, you know, jobs might be another one. Uh, they're retired for the most part, so they're not so concerned with the job market. Um, and, and a couple of issues that may be more pertinent to them is Medicare, Social Security. Yes. Yeah, if I have a portfolio of a couple million dollars that I expect to retire off of, you know, I might be paying more close attention to that, whereas younger voters who certainly can't even, um, you know, they're having a hard time rent or getting their own place to live, cars, student loan debt, 
um, investing in the stock market seems so distant and um, you know, disconnected from them. So I think you get the idea here. I think that's one point of the video. Was there anything else that you think might have been accurate? Yeah. Yeah, so the comment, in case you didn't hear it, was that younger people vote and uh, younger people are less likely to vote. So the first uh, visual here I wanted to share, and this is from uh, University of Florida professor uh, Michael McDonald in the US Elections Projects, where he's got data going back from 1984 until the most recent election we had in 2018. Does this have a pointer? Uh, so I, hopefully you're not too far away, you can kind of read um, the, the key here, but uh, as you may expect, the purple line represents the oldest uh, voters who are age 60 plus, and the blue line represents the youngest voters who are uh, 29 years and, and younger, and you know, without exception, there's about a 30 to 35% difference in voter turnout. Um, so absolutely, um, that video, has some stereotypes, but it is true that younger voters are less likely to vote. Um, and that's you know, been true for the entire period that we have uh, with this data. Um, anything else, maybe? Yeah. Okay. So, I, like, if I'm in history, I hear it all the time about how so many people vote and how many wars there were for speeches. Okay. So, I, there's just, I feel like older people are just so used to it now, so they just keep doing what they've been doing for years and years, and we're just Absolutely. A lot I'd like to pull from that comment. One, they're used to being a voter. That was, you know, I was struggling with coming up with a title, and I admit that I'm not best at coming up with snappy titles, but the idea of being a voter is this idea that it's a culture, that you're always voting. So as she pointed out, that maybe some of our older Americans today grew up during, you know, Great Depression, Great Depression uh, World War II, um, Korean War, Vietnam War, and so, you know, maybe the consequences were higher, um, they felt that the stakes were important. Um, there was a culture, a civic, kind of a stronger civic culture, oh, perhaps, wow. My for them. Never talked about voting or anything. Yeah. Never really brought that up because I'm younger, you know. Yeah. I still don't bring it up. I've never seen them even talk about going out and voting when they're 35 and 39. So yeah. they're never, we never talk about voting. I okay. It's an interesting point. How much political socialization is going on, maybe even civic uh, education, K through 12. Is it even cool or appropriate to talk about politics in more recent history, whereas maybe in the past it was? reason, the older you get, the more likely you are to vote. So there's a behavior change 
as you have jobs and, and are part of own a house perhaps or yeah. property. You're my I would put out the theory, and that's probably there's probably holes in the theory. I'm just making it up that you're buying into something. You're recognizing yeah. that voting actually has power and makes something happen, and so you have an incentive to show up and change. Ab so there's a change happening in this data. That's that's why yeah. I think it was neat. Absolutely. Uh, I feel like I'm too young. Like, I feel like um, I'm too scared to make those choices. I feel like I'm not really mature enough. I don't know if that's how it is with a bunch of 18 to 29 because we have, like, college, we want to party, we make stupid decisions on our own, like drinking and driving and smoking weed. And, like, I feel like I'm not mature enough for. Well, I think a lot of these last these two points are definitely supported by research too. I, you know, yes, as you get older, it, arguably you have more at stake, uh, and you know, a lot of research proves as you pay more in taxes, and you know, not just uh, income taxes, but you've got property taxes, sales tax. You feel like there's a lot more direct uh, implications on your life. Um, you become more stable. You've got a family typically. And so all these things are associated with higher uh, voting turnout. The other thing I wanted to point out, um, I'm going to skip that one real quick, is that as you become more educated, uh, we see a very similar trend here of, of those with the most education having the highest voter turnout and those with the least education. So as you're younger, you typically don't have as much education. Um, some people would argue you're not as politically sophisticated. That's another uh, factor that's associated with uh, voter turnout is typically the more informed that you are, the more likely you are to vote, and the more frequently that you vote, especially in primaries and caucuses. This is uh, a select segment of Americans who decide to, to, to vote in these elections. And, and oftentimes, it's just like you mentioned. We feel like, oh, I don't know all these candidates very well. It's too confusing. Um, I know this, uh, you know, in, in November we're going to be able to vote on president, but I don't quite understand this election going on here in March. So you're definitely right on track. I just, you know, in using that first video, I would push back a little bit too that there, there is a lot at stake for younger voters. Uh, you know, and, and really half of the federal government is, nearly half, is dedicated to two programs alone with Social Security and Medicare. Um, I, I would argue that kind of the social contract was different for older Americans than younger Americans, especially with kind of uh, investment on infrastructure, investment on education. So the quality of your life, the, the future taxes that you're going to be paying and the benefits you're going to be getting back for government, all that's up for grabs. And, you know, if I was um, somebody who was running a campaign or running for election, you know, who would I pay attention to? If I was crafting an agenda and I'm trying to win a competitive race, which groups of supporters would I or would you pay attention to? You know? Yeah, the 60 plus, you know, and the most educated. And I think if you didn't quite get a chance to look at this other um, uh, demographic trend that we see is that disproportionately the highest group of voters um, generally is, is whites, African Americans, and then um, Hispanics. So there's huge uh, gaps based on race and ethnicity as well. So um, anything from that video that was inaccurate? Misleading, stereotypes? 
Yeah, thank you. Um, excellent comment. And this is the 2018 exit poll. Um, so I, it, it, there's not a huge difference um, for, for uh, difference from the 2016 election to the 2018 election. But it is true that whites and older voters are more likely to vote Republican, but it is in no way all of them. Um, it, in fact, um, it's just, it's, it's pretty split, um, leaning towards uh, a slight advantage based on age for elderly. Uh, you really need to start combining multiple demographics, like older, white, males without a college education. Then you're really on to saying maybe about 60 to 70% or more are voting in a particular way. But you know, and not all young people vote Democrats. So, you know, that, you know, they're using some stereotypes. Um, they're not, you know, they're making a snappy video in 45 seconds, so they're not completely um, correct on everything. But I think their broader point was to try to inspire young people to vote. So excellent observation there. Um, so one point that I think we've already kind of discussed, I just wanted to show some data to demonstrate, is just differences uh, between generations, age cohorts, and maybe what, they, what their philosophies, ideology of what government should or shouldn't be doing. And it is true that, generally speaking, younger uh, voters tend to support government providing more services, doing you know, more interventionist government policies, getting involved in the economy, perhaps providing a better, bigger safety net. I think if you were to get more specific with things like reduce college tuition or free college or things like um, a universal healthcare system, you'd see s clear uh, differences between younger voters supporting uh, those policies compared to uh, the older generations. So why else should you vote? Um, you know, you can really determine who wins. I think um, sometimes we think, oh, you know, uh, I don't want to go vote. It's going to take some time. Uh, you know, I'm going to have to stand in line. I'm busy. I've got other things to be doing. And, oh, my vote's not going to make a difference anyway. I wanted to highlight a few elections and where, um, you know, dramatically, you know, yes, there are some elections where, you know, one vote clearly does not make a difference. But there are many, there, there are plenty of examples where that is, uh, not the case and where uh, one vote does. One of the ones that really sticks out to me is just a few years ago in 2017, it was a Virginia House of Delegates. So this would be like, um, you know, your um, Kelly Burke, who happens to represent um, this area of Moraine Valley in Springfield, Illinois. She's a, you know, Illinois House of Representative. So it's a similar race like that. But this race was a tie with 23,000 total ballots cast. And as it turned out, they had to literally pick um, from a f out of a bowl, they picked a name. And a Republican name, the, 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 can the Republican candidate won. And this literally determined who had the majority in the Virginia 
uh, delegates. So Republicans now had a, a, a one vote advantage in the um, Virginia delegation. So uh, made a difference, you know, a lot of Virginia Democrats, you know, they had a, a, a Democratic governor, they wanted to pass gun legislation, gun control, and they were unable to do so, you know, literally just because of this one, one vote. Uh, this is another, um, and by the way, all of these you can find if you're interested in why every vote matters. This is uh, an NPR article that's got about 20 different examples of really close elections. Um, this was a race, a, a, a small number of ballots cast, but it was decided by one vote. And this was in 2016, and the interesting little anecdote about this is this was essentially a rematch of the same two candidates in 2010, where the incumbent had lost by one vote, I'm sorry, the incumbent had won by one vote and then lost the uh, you know, election in 2016, six years later. Another consequential election, this one was not decided by one vote, but 312, but it was out of three million uh, votes cast. Um, this recount took a long time, and the consequence of this one, so this is when President Obama uh, wins the presidential election, and Democrats have what looks to be a 60-vote majority, but they didn't until Al Franken got seated because of this recount. But when he finally was, was, was seated, they had this 60-vote supermajority in the U.S. Senate, which ultimately became consequential of the Affordable Care Act being passed. Um, so really, these 312 voters in Minnesota uh, helped make the difference for um, uh, a lot of legislation, but uh, you know, to, to allow for the Senator Franken to be seated. I wanted to pick out one local one. This is a throwback uh, to the 1850s, so probably we don't remember this, right? But one single vote decided uh, the Illinois 7th. So this is a U.S. House of Representative race. The 7th District in Illinois was decided by one vote. A couple of the ones at the presidential level that may stand out to you that you've heard of before. Uh, 2000 election, George W. Bush becomes president in the Electoral College. Uh, Al Gore wins the popular vote by about 500,000 votes nationwide, but it was really the state of Florida. And there was a recount, and it was ultimately stopped by the Supreme Court, but at the time of when the recount was stopped, George W. Bush has a 537 vote advantage over Al Gore in Florida. And without those 25 electoral college votes, you know, uh, just to recap real quick, uh, George W. Bush had 271 electoral college votes total, including Florida's 25. Uh, you need 270 to win the presidency. So he won the electoral college by one vote. If Al Gore you know, gets 538 more votes than him in Florida, George W. Bush does not become the president in 2000. So that's a really, really uh, close example of an election. And then most recently, we had 2016 where we had uh, three states, uh, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan, that were really, really close. Each of those elections were decided by less than 1% of the total votes cast. And I don't know if this link is going to work for me, but this is a pretty good visual of just how close that election was. So bear with me here. 
But each of these blue, light blue lines represents 20,000 voters in 2016. So 20,000 voters for each of these blue lines. It was these four dark blue lines, 20, 40, 60, 80. It was just under 80,000 total votes spread amongst those three states that decided the election. So really, really tight 2016 election. We expect the 2020 election to be similarly really close, especially in some of these repeat uh, battleground states like uh, Wisconsin and Michigan that happened to border Illinois. Um, so one last thing I wanted to talk about, uh, I think we still have about 20 minutes, uh, voter resources. So uh, on the first day of my class in my American government, uh, class I always ask, uh, I do a survey whether you're registered to vote, and about half my students are registered to vote, and then whether you've actually voted before. In this most recent uh, semester, 12.5% of my students had voted, and typically it's about 20%. I think part of this is a byproduct of age, of course. Um, if you're just 18, 19, it's difficult to have voted in 2018 based on age. But um, there's a couple of great websites. Uh, one, you can do a Google search. Am I registered to vote in Illinois? And you can go to the Illinois Board of Elections. But um, you can also go to the Illinois League of, of Women Voters, and you end up typing in your name and an address, and you can find out quickly whether you're registered to vote. When you do that, it'll show you whether you're registered to vote. If you haven't been registered to vote, it's really easy to do so. You can do so online. You can do so in person. Um, you can do so on campus tomorrow uh, in U111. I'm going to remind you that at the end. But U111, um, both uh, tomorrow and on Thursday, I'm sorry, Tuesday and Wednesday. <laughs> Tuesday and Wednesday from uh, 11 to 1.30 in U111, you could get registered to vote. But it, if you are registered to vote, it'll show you your local polling place um, in case you don't know where to actually go when it comes March to, to, to vote. Yeah. Awesome. For those of you who didn't hear that, or in case for the recording, the library is always here to help uh, at the reference desk. Um, just let them know. They'll point you in the right direction, right resources, any election, anytime, anywhere. Um, there is a great site called uh, Ballotpedia and uh, ballotpedia.org, and you can find out who's on your ballot. So what I did is I just typed in Moraine Valley's address. This is really key. It, it depends where you live, of who, what races you have, and what candidates you have. All of us in the, this room will not have the exact same candidates for all offices. So it is important to know um, who you're voting for to be an educated voter. Hopefully this works. To show a sample ballot for the 2020 primary race in Illinois.
So uh, I won't go through every single one of these, but I did just want to give you a little bit of a, a snapshot. So I typed in Moraine Valley's address. So if you happen to live really close by to Moraine Valley, this is the way it's going to look for you. Of course, Senate, uh, the US uh, Senate seat for Illinois, this is for all Illinois voters, so everybody's going to have the same options. When you vote in a primary, the way it works is you can, uh, if I'm a registered Republican, when I walk in, I can say I would like the Republican or the Democratic ballot. We have that choice. We have an open primary in Illinois. You can have one or the other. You can't have both. Um, so, you know, uh, there's only one candidate on the Democratic side, incumbent Dick Durbin, who's running for re-election. And then we have about five Republican candidates. Uh, we have a very competitive race on the Democratic side for this third uh, congressional district, U.S. House of Representative uh, seat that represents uh, Moraine Valley. We have the incumbent Dick, I'm sorry, Dan Lipinski, and uh, he's running against several challengers. Uh, Marie Newman, who he just barely beat in 2018, Rush Darwish and Charles Hughes. Uh, we have three Republican candidates on the, on the Republican side. Uh, Kelly Burker, I mentioned earlier, represents us down in Springfield. She's running unopposed. And then, you know, you're going to get down to a lot of local level races, a lot of court uh, candidates for, for various levels of courts. Water Reclamation District. Cook County Board of Review. So uh, same scenario when it comes to the general election, you know, this ballotpedia.org would allow you to click on the candidate. When you click on the candidate, it'll typically take you to a link to their, or show you different links for their campaign site and so forth, information about their biography. Uh, it really just kind of depends upon how sophisticated their campaign is, about how much information you can learn about them. But this is one resource that could be helpful to to just knowing who you have a, a choice of voting for when it comes to uh, the primary in November or in, uh, in March. <laughs> uh, one of the sites that I found that was really cool uh, from the New York Times is called Ready, Set, Vote. Here's everything you need to know for the 2020 primaries. And it's basically a frequent, frequently asked questions uh, I think they may get down to even 20 different questions. And anything that you may have thought of about this upcoming primary, uh, you simply, uh, so when do I vote? You click on it and they'll let you know um, the responses to those. I'm going to throw out a little um, marketing for our next event that we have on election. We're going to have in the library, we're going to have a panel presentation on the 2020 uh, nomination campaign. So nomination basically means the combination of caucuses like we have in Iowa and primaries like the, we have in, in um, Illinois. And on Tuesday, of March. The first Tuesday of March is called Super Tuesday, and the reason it's so super is that there's about 40% of all the Democratic delegates will be voting on that, uh, 
the equivalent of 40% of all the votes will be determined on this one election day. So it's this kind of Super Bowl, if you will, of elections on the first Tuesday of March. So in the library, we will have an opportunity to talk about, you know, which candidates are still around and are competitive at this point. What, what are the prospects of who's going to potentially be the front runner? And then a couple weeks later, Illinois will have the opportunity of, of uh, voicing our vote on the primary. Um, but this website has all kinds of information if you're interested. And then as I was mentioning earlier, if you wanna get registered to vote on campus, uh, I think the last time we did this, we literally had less than 20 people who got registered to vote. So we're trying to break that record. We actually have uh, our satellite campuses are getting involved as well. Uh, so all parts of Moraine Valley are going to have an opportunity to um, register to vote on campus for the registration drive. So that was my overview of the why you should vote, uh, which elections you can vote for, why voting is important. We had some questions earlier, but um, I've been talking quite a bit here, so I just wanted to open it up to you guys, see if there's any questions, anything that doesn't make sense, anything going on that you want to know about. Yeah. Okay. So the question was about the graduated income tax that will be on the ballot in November. So uh, a little bit about context to that. To, to amend the Constitution in Illinois, first it's got to pass uh, uh, the General Assembly. So basically it was, it, it was uh, the Illinois uh, House and Senate both approved by super, uh, super majority and a party line vote. Essentially all Democrats supported the idea that we could amend the Constitution. So our, our tax structure is protected by the Illinois Constitution. You cannot just pass a new law to change the tax structure in Illinois. You have to amend the Constitution. As of right now, it's a flat tax structure. So everybody pays the exact same percentage. I wanna say 4.95%. Does that sound correct if you're looking at your paycheck? Um, and so uh, the Illinois, uh, the elected officials could change that. They could raise that or lower that without a constitutional amendment. But to a change the, uh, to, a, to change to a graduated income tax where higher income earners pay more, a higher percentage of tax and lower income individuals pay a lower percentage like about 38, 40 states in our country do, that they, most states have a progressive tax system graduated income tax. The only way Illinois can do that is by amending the Constitution. So basically on the ballot in November, it's going to ask you whether you approve or you know, whether you vote yes or no on allowing uh, the Constitution to be amended to allow for the graduated tax income to be, or the income tax to be changed to graduated income. The current um, you know, model that is likely to be approved if that does get approved by Illinois voters is, is basically all, all taxpayers uh, will, will get a, re a slight reduction on the first $250,000 of income that they make. And then uh, for taxpayers who make more than $250,000, uh, there'll be an increase and then there's different thresholds d depending upon whether you're married, uh, filing singly. Um, and you know, from 500,000, 750,000 or above, each of these are going to be treated differently. 
But that's subject to changes in Springfield. The first, I guess, uh, path is to allow whether voters, and it's going to take 60% of us, to vote in favor of that constitutional amendment for it to be approved. Does that make sense? Anything else you guys wanted to talk about election-wise? Yeah, the New York Times site that I was showing was called uh, Ready, Set, Vote. Here's everything you need to know for the 2020 prim primaries. That's the title of it. Probably uh, I'd be happy to share this with you too if you want to email me. It is my last name, which is Navratel. K2, so N-A-V-R-A-T-I-L-K-2 at marinevalley.edu. And I'd be happy to share any of these election resources and the slides with you. Mike. Do you recommend one online quiz over another that shows political leanings, whether conservative, One of the ones that's, so as far as like a kind of self-diagnostic uh, survey quiz, if you will, that kind of lets you know where you stand, gives you choices of where you stand on various issues, and then gives you an assessment back. Um, I've traditionally used, there's a Pew Research where instead of simply liberal conservative, they've got about different flavors of ideologies. Um, some of which are essentially disaffected where, hey, I'm, I'm basically, I don't, I'm not interested in politics. I'm kind of, a, I, don't, I don't vote, I don't participate. Um, and it, it's a little bit more fine-tuned. I think that gets helpful. Now, with a lot of these surveys, they're, they're simply either-or questions. And a lot of us may have complex views that are, um, you know, somewhere in between. So uh, I'm still in search of that kind of perfect tool. But one of the things think we have to recognize is that um, when we talk about ideologies, we typically just have two major categories. And with parsimony, the more you can explain with less is good, but then it leaves a lot of gray area. And there's probably many of us who feel like on some issues we're liberal. Maybe I think that the government should do more about health care, but maybe on, uh, I don't know, abortion or other issues like defense spending, I might be more conservative. So many of us might be a blend of uh, kind of a hybrid of, of various um, you know, principles of each ideology. I got another yeah, of course. On the first day, the question is on the first day of class, do I, do I ask my male students if they've registered for the draft? And the answer is no, I have not done that. You think we all might? We should. We should. Right. Show up. So making sure that our students are in compliance with the law? Yeah. Any other any other questions? All right, well thanks for coming today. Uh, again, my name is Kevin Navertel, I'm the Democracy Commitment Coordinator. Never hesitate to reach out to me. I'm always happy to help answer any questions that you may have. Thanks.